Good to see everybody out this evening. It's a, a wonderful blessing and a privilege for me to be able to stand before you and to bring you a lesson from God's Word. Now, Acts chapter 8, whenever uh, they asked if I would cover on Acts chapter 8, I thought, yeah, that would be great because there's so many great things that's happening inside the book of Acts chapter 8. There's a lot going on, a whole lot. And I've heard so many wonderful lessons over the years and sermons from preachers greater than I who get up here and have taken Acts chapter 8 or stories from Acts chapter 8 such as Simon the Sorcerer and have really expounded upon those sources and gone to the Ethiopian eunuch and have really brought out treasures from those stories and... I thought, well, they took just that one part and made like an hour, hour and a half long sermons out of them. There's no way I can just pack all of that into one sermon. So it could be a fun ride tonight, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. There's so much to say, really. Acts chapter 8 begins with really the persecution of the church. This is the martyrdom, as Justin, I believe, covered Acts 7. The martyrdom of Stephen. As Stephen, there he was, Acts chapter 7, being bold as a lion, standing before these Jews, accusing them of being stiff-necked and uncircumcised in the heart of the ears, and telling them, which one of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? And of course, they didn't like hearing this. And there Saul of Tarsus was consenting unto the death of Stephen. And so you have the word of God because of this persecution that is being brought down upon the church now spreading throughout all of Judea and Samaria and all the regions around Jerusalem, all that's going on because of this heavy persecution that's terrorizing the early church. The gospel spread because of this. And I know we have this thing today here in America where we have this religious freedom that we enjoy. And I, I think, fair enough, we enjoy it good enough because we've never experienced this where we live. Now, you could go over to some places over in Nigeria and other places where they face very real persecution. But we... Here in the United States, we go knock on the door and someone rips up one of our flyers and slams the door in our face and we're all like, we've been persecuted. I've had that. Where you kind of shake the dust off your feet and you go to the next door. But what would it be like if we were being persecuted the way that the early church was being persecuted? It's not being silenced on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you're at. If you're social media in it. All, I, I don't really social media a whole lot. That's not the type of persecution. Would the gospel spread the exact same way for us today if we were being persecuted the way that the early church was being persecuted? I don't know how many of y'all have read Tortured for Christ, but it was really eye-opening for me because the torture that these people endured in Romania through the hands of the Soviets was just unrelenting. But you know, a lot of them died 
But those who endured changed a lot of those Soviets' lives because they said, how can you endure what we're doing to you? And it changed their lives. So that's where the beginning of Acts chapter 8 starts. It says, now Saul was consenting to his death, that Stephen, at that at that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. That was Saul's goal. Now, I want you to understand this also, and I think this is something that I just realized not so long ago. It wasn't just the government or the, the empire of Rome that was bringing persecution upon the church, but it was from the very hands of the religious leaders at the time who was bringing the most persecution upon the church. Because they wanted to stop this. They didn't want to lose their power. And I think we've covered that a lot throughout our studies. Is this grip of power that they had. They didn't want to relinquish it to Christ. They didn't want to lose their spot. Of course if we study church history. We're going to see that they're going to then take this newfound power with Christ and they're going to harness it over everyone and, and they're going to corrupt it and a great deal of, of just bad doctrine enters into the world around the dark ages and whatnot. But we're not going into that part tonight. But Jesus told his apostles in the limited commission that this is how it was going to be. They were going to be persecuted uh, Matthew chapter 10 verse 16 he says behold I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves but beware of men for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles but when they deliver you up do not worry of what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. Do you think in that hour, and I know this is the limited commission, so bear with me, but do you think in that hour where Stephen was there and he was given this opportunity to speak, that it wasn't the Holy Spirit that filled him and said, let me tell you something, this is what you did you stiff-necked and uncircumcised of the heart and ears. Verse 23, For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death, and you will be hated by all men or by all for my sake, for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For, for assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, isn't that exactly what's happening here? Early church, 
this new gospel message has been uh, began at Jerusalem and it's now going out uh, to everyone in that area. And those who have been converted are going off, not just coming back to church on Sunday and enjoying their lives Monday through Saturday, but they're going out and they're preaching this message, the same message that they received through the hands of the apostles. They're now carrying this message out to everywhere that they go. And they were being persecuted for it. And Jesus said, when this happens, flee. When you're persecuted in this city, go to another city. Continue carrying this gospel message with you. And that's what happened. They began to preach in Samaria and Judea and Cyprus, Phoenicia, Antioch. The new converts carried that message. I remember how excited I was the day that I was baptized and coming up out of that water and then going to my friends and telling my friends about the gospel message. And one of my friends, he said, Jason, can't you talk about this to the people in your church? And I was like, well, those who aren't sick have no need of a physician. <laughs> and that's what it took, though. I mean, that newfound fire, that flame, that desire that you have, that you want to carry this message out to everybody, that you want your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, you want all these people who you know and love, your neighbor, your co-workers, you want them to experience that same feeling, that feeling of salvation, to be freed from your sins, to walk in that newness of life, and you have that in Christ. And this message, this gospel message that these first century Christians are now receiving, or these Jews at the time are now receiving, is this message of hope, that gospel, that good news that they didn't have before because before they had to rely on the blood of bulls and goats just to roll their sins back. But now they have a priest, a high priest, who's made uh, a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek who carried away our sins upon the cross, who through him gives us hope of a home in heaven when this life is over that our sins are no longer upon us. And this message that death, that burial, that resurrection, that risen Savior has now changed the entire world as they knew it. But they only took it to the Jews at first. Acts chapter 11, verse 19, he says, Now the, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Venotia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Now, this was going to change. It was going to change very quickly because the gospel now was not limited to just the Jews. That's where the Great Commission came into it. Jesus would tell his disciples to go out into all the nation, preach the gospel to every creature, not just to the Jew only. And he went and preached that. And so the, the Gentiles are now going to begin to receive this. But the gospel is continuing to spread as Philip travels now, that heavy persecution that came upon the church, and there Philip was toward Jerusalem, and now he's traveling to Samaria, and he begins to preach as soon as he gets there. 
Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in the city." This message, this gospel, this good news that Philip is carrying with him, and not just Philip, but all of those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching this message. But specifically here, this message of hope and redemption and the miracles that accompanied it it brought such a great joy to that whole city. He taught them the things concerning Christ and the kingdom of God. He says, But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery. He practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is a great power of God. And they heeded him because he astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. What was it that Philip preached? Because whatever it was that he was preaching caused some kind of stir within them people that they said, I need to get baptized. They heard what he said concerning the Christ and concerning the kingdom of God, and they believed it and were baptized. Isn't that what Jesus spoke of? But Simon the sorcerer had fooled all the people with magic. All these little sorceries and tricks that he did to astonish the people. They thought, he's someone great. Until some, something real came along. And not only, you see, it amazed Simon the sorcerer also because he saw these things too. And he knew the things that he was doing was just tricks. Just little parlor tricks. And I've seen some amazing things done by, by people through illusion and things like that, to fool people into thinking that they're floating or what, I mean. But what would happen if it was actually happening? You'd be like, oh, I've just been playing this whole time. Well, that was Simon. He pretended to be someone great, but he knew himself to be a fraud. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Simon was saved. He believed what Philip was preaching. He saw those miracles just like those other Jews had saw, and he was baptized. And he continued there with them. I wonder how long it took for John and Peter to get down here because that's what's coming next. They traveled from Jerusalem after they heard of all that was happening with Philip And this great revival that's now turning around throughout all of Samaria, they traveled down there because they had not received the Holy Ghost yet. But that's what Jesus said in Mark 16 and verse 15 through 16. He that believes and is baptized would be saved. But he said, go preach the gospel to every creature. 
And that's what Philip did. Because they heard those things and they were baptized, Philip was preaching the gospel. The end result were people being obedient, believing, and being baptized. It says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that there's something that we need to focus on here, just for a moment, because there's a lot of, of things out in the world where people claim to still have this ability. But I want us to see, just for a moment, and ask ourselves, why didn't Philip do it? There he was. It was only Philip as he was going into Samaria and he was doing miracles. He was casting out devils from people who were possessed. He was healing those who were sick and raising those who were paralyzed. He, were, he, he was doing all of these miracles. Why wasn't he giving them the Holy Spirit? It's because the apostles were the ones who had that ability. The apostles could give this ability to people, but those people in turn could not give that because this was something that was meant to end. It was coming to an end. So once the apostles all died off and those who the apostles had given this ability to, once they all died off, then the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit as we know them the speaking in tongues the way that they did, the, the raising up people who were lame, the casting out of devils from folks, that was all done away with. Miracle through the hands of men were never intended to be permanent. It was to be done away. That's what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he said, love never fails. That's true. Love continues. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. These miraculous gifts as we knew them were going to be done away with. Again, we could dive into this a lot further than that and really explore this, but... On the surface, that's what it was. That's why Philip didn't do this to those people that he had converted. Now, does that mean that miracles don't happen today? Absolutely, it does not mean that. Because God can do whatever God wants to do, regardless of what I get up here and say. That being said, it says... And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. Money for this gift. Now Simon saw what Philip was doing. He saw these miracles that Philip was able to do. And now he sees that through the laying on of the apostles' hand that this gift is given. He's only fooled people with magic up to this point. And he's thinking, you know, if I had that ability, what it could do for my career. <laughs> I mean, in the gist of it, Simon was baptized believer, yet his heart was not right. 
Somewhere in that line, he saw and heard the gospel preached. He believed it. He was baptized. According to Jesus, he was saved. A lot of folks, whenever they say, well, Simon wasn't really saved. Well, then they have to say that Jesus was lying when he said that's what saves us. His heart, somewhere along those lines of following Philip and listening to Philip and listening to the gospel message preached and having Peter and John come down and seeing what they were doing and laying their hands on folks and giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit, somehow his heart became not right. But he said, give me also this power that on anyone on whom I lay my hands. Let me start that over. I got all twisted in my words there. Here Simon is. He said, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your money perished with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. What harsh words Peter gave Simon. But it's exactly what he needed to hear. He needed to hear what his fault was. And I'm afraid that too many times, especially as preachers, we get up here and we're afraid to say, this is a fault. We need to not do this or you need to change. But Peter just sharply told him, your heart's not right and you need to get right. But listen to what happened. He didn't get mad and stammer off out the door and say, well, how dare you tell me this? Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you've spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now I want you to see that Peter's harsh words to Simon though they were harsh, brought about his repentance. It may, it, maybe it felt like, P Peter may, may have felt like I was being the bad guy. Maybe he didn't feel like it, but he told him what he needed to hear because his heart wasn't right in the matter. And then after this great revival has happened, after they had come, they had laid hands on folks, they had given the gift of the Holy Spirit out to as many of the Samaritans as they could, then they left. They returned to Jerusalem. But as they went their way, they preached everywhere they went. They didn't just go to Samaria and say, you know, we had a good time here, now let's go back home. As they traveled, they went preaching to every village that they came across. The gospel was spreading. It was just like wildfire sweeping through that area. And the more persecution, the more they tried to stop it, the more it spread. Like a wind blowing. There it was going. <sighs> Verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, that is desert. Now, there was this great revival 
that started there in Samaria as a result of Philip going up to Samaria and preaching this gospel. And Philip, he didn't, he didn't question the angel of the Lord that came to him and said, hey, you need to get up from where you are and you need to go to Gaza. Go down towards Jerusalem to Gaza. And Philip didn't question it. He didn't say, wait a second, Lord, I need to stay here because of this great revival that's happening. This is a hot spot for Christianity right now. I need to stay right there. Instead, he got up and went without question. Much like Abraham, whenever the Lord told Abraham, go on and go to a place that I'm going to show you. That's what Philip did. He just got up without question and went. <clears throat> so he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come down to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. And so there's a purpose for why the Lord called Philip to go to Gaza, to go out this way, because he was setting him on course to meet this eunuch. Because as we see, this was a man of great authority under the queen of Ethiopia. Can you imagine what this man was going to do? He was going to be just like all these other first century Christians who was carrying that gospel message with them everywhere they went. He was going to take it with them when he received it. The Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone should guide me? And he desired or he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, isn't that exactly how it is? Because here he is, he's reading Isaiah the prophet, and Philip goes to join this chariot, and he hears what he's reading, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? Do you have any knowledge? How many of y'all have ever opened up something before, and you're reading it in the scriptures, and you just don't really understand it? And then one day someone gets up there, and they're preaching about what you've been studying about, and all of a sudden it kind of opens up in your mind, you're like, oh, now, I didn't think about that before. Well, here Philip is hearing him read Isaiah the prophet. This guy, this Ethiopian unit, not knowing who he's reading about. Philip asked if he did. Well, Paul would say, how shall they call on him in whom they've not heard or have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. That's what Philip was doing here. He was called by the Lord to go out and to preach. And there he went. In Gaza, he met this eunuch. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. Now the scripture that 
he is reading is what we would know as the suffering servant or Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant. So the eunuch answered Philip and asked, I ask you, of whom does this prophet speak, uh, say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Now imagine, here he is. He's in the midst of this great revival. That's Philip. All of Samaria is ablaze with this new gospel message. And Philip could have said, Lord, I can't go right now. There's this great stuff happening right now. They're on fire over here. I need to stay here. But instead, he said, hey, I want you to get up and I want you to go toward Jerusalem. And I want you to go join yourself to this chariot. And Philip just continued to do this without question. And as he got there, he heard this man reading from Isaiah the prophet. And as he heard him and come up into the chariot with him, he began at that same scripture and he preached to him Jesus. That same gospel message that he had already carried to Samaria. And I only say that because... You can't preach the gospel without preaching Jesus. It's impossible. There is no good news without Jesus. It says in verse 36, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, notice from this scripture that it's the eunuch who asked about baptism rather than Philip saying, See, here's water. Why don't you come up here and get baptized? I mean, that's what we do as preachers today. We say, we have water, we have clothes. Why don't y'all come up here? Whatever message Philip preached to this eunuch, the eunuch saw the water and said, well, what's stopping me? Is there anything else that I'm lacking before I can do this? He said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he was baptized. Both of them went down into the water both Philip and the eunuch, and it says, And now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And that's how the chapter ends. But do you see this gospel message is just spreading like wildfire? Philip's doing an amazing job of it. Everywhere he's going, he's preaching that message. You know, we're called to preach that same message. We're called to be just like Philip. We're disciples of Christ. We're called to carry that everywhere we go. We're supposed to be a light unto the world, a lamp set up on a hill so that it gives light to all that are in the house. That's what we're called to do, to be bold as lions, as Stephen was, in the face of persecution knowing his fate, knowing it wasn't going to be the popular thing to do. Peter and John had already been brought before councils before and had been told, don't you go preaching this name anymore. 
And they went forth preaching it more. And everyone that they converted went forth preaching it. And we, after we were converted, we should go forth preaching it and continue carrying that same gospel message that brings salvation, that brings redemption, that brings hope, that brings change to our lives. That can be ours too. And that's the lesson tonight. And I ask you tonight, if you've never been obedient to the gospel, now is your time. You can be obedient like so many of the Sumerians before you, like, like the Ethiopian eunuch as he saw the water and said, what's stopping me? What's stopping you? If you haven't obeyed, we invite you to come. Or if you have fallen off track like Simon and your heart's no longer right with the Lord and you want to get back on track, listen, this, this invitation is for you. We would invite you to come as we stand and sing the song Selected.